Hey, this episode of the Adventist Millennial Podcast is sponsored by The Haystack. The Haystack is a voice for young adults in the Seventh-day Adventist Church that produces articles, music reviews, videos, and more. What's the and more? Well, you'll have to go to their website to find out. Thehaystack.org. The Haystack. Life. Culture. Theology. Okay. Hi. How are you? I have a confession to make. I, instead of recording this podcast, I have spent the last hour watching Dave Ramsey videos on YouTube and listening to him yell at people for all their stupid money decisions. So, that was fun, but now it's time to get with it and really dig into this week's episode. So, today I'm going to talk about toxic administ culture. Um, this year is the 10-year anniversary of when I went to Bible college. Amazing Facts Center for Evangelism. So, (laughs) I was just thinking about my experience and thought, well, let's talk about all the ways in which I think Adventists can be awful sometimes. Alright, so let's not waste any more time, because I already wasted a whole bunch watching Dave Ramsey. So, like I said, this year is the 10-year anniversary of when I went to AFCO. Um, And for those of you, I assume if you're listening to this, you probably have some kind of idea what AFCO is like, or at the very least, what very conservative Adventist culture is like. But for those of you who may not be up to speed, Um, this is the kind of environment in which women have to always wear skirts for everything, except for, like, you know, sleeping. (laughs) Well, even then, if you have a nightgown. (laughs) Okay, so, so skirts, uh, all the time for women. The cafeteria was vegan, um, and that's held in very high regard. It's not enough to be vegetarian. It's more pious to be vegan. Um, this is the kind of environment where you sing scripture songs seven days a week. It's not just only Christian music or hymns on Sabbath. It's every day of the week. Um, and so yeah, this is the kind of, uh, very conservative Adventist culture that I'm sure you're all, uh, familiar with. And so in- In this environment, I was part of the Trouble Kids gang. And we did all kinds of really, really bad stuff. Like acting rowdy and staying up too late and joking too much. And I remember we were playing sardines in in an abandoned old um, building on campus that they were supposedly going to renovate, but it was um, out of use. So, naturally, we snuck out in the middle of the night to play sardines, and I crawled up in the ceiling and fell out and sprained my ankle. Um, and my outreach partner, coincidentally, broke her toe grappling. So, we were a fun pair hobbling down the streets of Northern California, going door-to-door looking pitiful. Um... (laughs) We also, like, did things like jumping off bridges into the river. Um, We snuck out in the middle of the night to go to Denny's. Ooh. Um, We also snuck out on my 
friend's birthday to buy a pinata and then we hung it up by uh, an extension cord like an orange extension cord and beat it in the in one of the classrooms I don't know if anyone ever found out about that but we did almost get kicked out for having guys in our room but it wasn't even like <laughs> the reason we didn't get kicked out because it was my friend's cousin so there was nothing weird happening but still um so yeah so we were the trouble kids gang um and I remember one of our classmates telling me like 10 years from now you're gonna look back at this experience and really regret the way that you acted and I was like no I won't you're crazy well he was right but only in the sense that I still have ankle pain and I do regret that but everything else um what can I say I was 18 and it was fun. We had way more fun than anybody else in that class. I can say that for sure. Anyway, so um, the Trouble Kids gang aside, um, I ran into one of my classmates from this AFCO class of 2009. um, And we were talking about like, wow, it's 10 years. Can you believe 10 years? And then we were just going through reminiscing about all of the people who were in our class and and realizing, like, most of our classes either not in the church anymore, or if they are, they have huge problems with the church, um, ourselves included, the two of us who were talking about it. Um, so, so, like, we were just running down the list of names, like, that person's out of the church, that person's out, that person's out, that person is just really angry, that person is, like, grudgingly going to church. Um, and and I was really amazed because we could only think of, like, two who were still equally as, I don't know, AFCO-y as as we were at that time. Like, why? Why is that? Why is that the truth? Why is that the case? Like, 48 out of 50 people were disillusioned. Like, if you took 50 of the early Christian apostles, (laughs) were 48 of them worn out? burnt out disillusioned and and left in less than 10 years i mean that doesn't sound right that doesn't sound healthy the majority of the waldenses if you took 50 waldenses had 48 of them fallen off the wagon and been like y'all i'm out i'm going back to the city i'm tearing up my secret bible verses and have a nice life i, I don't think that was the case Um, So what is causing people to burn out? What's causing them to leave? What's causing these fractures between the organization and its members? Um, And why is it so hard to stay long-term a quote-unquote committed Christian, as would probably be called in those circles? So some of the explanations that I've heard and you've probably heard as well are things like uh, so-and-so or you or whoever, the the ambiguous, the universal you, <clears throat> you didn't renounce enough sins, like you still had sin in your life and so that dragged you back down or, or you let 
bad behaviors creep back in to your life and it escalated so bad that you just have backslidden because you can't control yourself or like you just didn't do your devotions enough or consistently enough you just entertained too much apostasy you listened to too many far out ideas and it really just corrupted you or you know maybe the truth is you just really weren't ever converted truly in the first place and your heart was never really changed and that's why you fell away but whatever the explanation is it's always the people backslid uh, they fell off the sanctified wagon if you will um it could never be an explanation that there's something in our culture that is breaking people because, you know, we all know this. Adventists have the truth. So it must be user error if we can't figure out a way to be contented and be joyful in that life. It must be our problem. Because as the remnant with end time truth, um, it can't possibly be that there's anything wrong in the culture. Now, those are the ex explanations that you would hear if you were to ask, you know, say, for example, 2009 AFCO class. <laughs> I don't know if I would have agreed with that at that time because I was in the, you know, the Trouble Kids gang. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that's the prevailing attitude in, in Adventism, especially the more conservative side of Adventism. Uh, but it seems to me and I just want to kind of throw this out there and see what you guys think. Uh, it seems to me that people who really feel things end up leaving because they get hurt. People who think about things end up leaving because something doesn't add up to them. People leave because there are toxic relationships in the church. There are abusive hierarchies in the church. There's restrictive behavior standards that no one can live up to in the church. There's rigid and judgmental social rules that nobody can handle in the church. And it seems like at some point you might question if there's something a little bit off with some of these things that we're doing to each other and to ourselves. But apparently, no, it's just that we're not committed enough. We're not, uh, we're not deep enough in the word. We're not exegeting hard enough. We're not singing enough hymns. We're not doing enough prayer meetings. We're not door knocking enough. And that's why we have problems. It's not because we police each other's behavior and we look down our noses at each other. It's not because we lose sight of of <laughs> what that gospel commission actually is in, in favor of conforming everyone to our system of rules. It's none of those things, of course. And so in Matthew 11, at the end of the chapter... When it says, and at this time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, 
and my burden is light. Now, don't misunderstand. Jesus wasn't saying my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He was really saying <laughs> my yoke is really specific and it should feel light, but actually it feels really heavy and after 10 years you might want to leave. <laughs> but that's okay because I said it feels light. <laughs> that's what he really meant. Um, <laughs> but, but for real, Jesus throughout his life on earth and every story that we have about him suggests that he wanted people to be happy and uh, to be healed, whether that's physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Now, I know that we Adventists have a knee-jerk reaction to the idea that Jesus wants us to be happy. Oh, no, 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 no. He doesn't want us to be happy. He wants us to be saved. Um, or like drawing some huge distinction between happiness and joy in Christ, where you enjoy your trials and your self-flagellation. <laughs> um, now, of course, I'm under no delusion that we must be happy at all times. We live in <laughs> this world, so that's impossible. But that doesn't mean that Jesus didn't want us to be happy and that he wasn't telling the truth when he said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He wasn't lying when he suggested that your life would be much more enjoyable for having followed him and not much more stressful and <laughs> like burdensome. Almost every encounter, every encounter actually that I can think of, when Jesus encountered someone, um, that person would end up running off more thrilled than they'd ever been in their life and like super gung-ho to go tell everyone about it. But when Adventists evangelize people, we, you know, we've had several hundred years, multiple hundreds of years to just really streamline this the model that Jesus set up for us so that now when we evangelize people instead of being overjoyed and gung-ho they're like oh shoot I guess I better modify my behavior and they have to convince themselves to do that it doesn't spring forth from them they just have to have a come to Jesus moment in which they realize that they've been living their lives wrong and if I either a, want to go to heaven, or B, don't want to die the second death, whichever incentivizes you more, negative or positive incentive, pick your poison, um, <laughs> if I don't change, I'm going to regret it. That's the reaction people have when we evangelize them. <laughs> and I, I mean, like, looking at it in that sense, it doesn't resemble at all the model that Jesus set up. We love to say we're doing the actions, the health message, the healing message, um, you know, the end times message, the prophetic message, the all of these various components that we've put together. Um, but that still leave people, <laughs> to be honest, a little bit worse for wear once we've gotten <laughs> 10 years down the road. And we, we police each other so hard that it's no wonder people get worn down and leave. Um, Jesus' burden is light, but Adventists' burdens are, like, two tons. So, like, maybe you're saying, okay, just calm down, you're getting a little overzealous in knocking Adventism. 
but you guys know where I stand, and I've been in this culture, um, and I have had some experiences that I can't say are all too <sighs> encouraging. Um, like, for example, okay, here, time for some anecdotes. Um, I was Bible working for ASI Youth for Jesus, and I remembered the director of the program at that time getting up in our so-called class time to give a lesson or a lecture or a class or whatever you call it um on the concept that we the righteous saved would spend a period of time during the millennium where we would review the sins of our unsaved loved ones and then basically <laughs> sentence their amount of burning <laughs> because no 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 we don't believe in the cruelty of eternally burning hell rather we believe in the much more palatable doctrine of assigning the length of burning to the people we loved who were not saved i mean that's biblical right <laughs> But I, I remember kids, these are high school kids, 13 to 16 year olds, listening to this. I remember multiple kids literally running out of the room crying because they couldn't stand the thought of the responsibility of having to assign a punishment time for their unsaved friends. Um... But no, our, our yoke is easy and our burden is light. So just calm down. Um, and then another time I had a Bible working partner and we had an interesting dynamic. Um, but I remember one time the Adventist church we were working at was like right down the block from a Baptist church. And so we would pass it every day as we, you know, trudged out to go door knocking um and I remember we had a really big argument one day <laughs> because he wanted to like pepper the Baptist church with the book the Sunday law um and if you haven't read that book you should read it just as an FYI but I'm sure most of you have read this book the Sunday law let's you know let's really show the Sunday <laughs> keeping Baptists how much God loves them and how much we're, you know, partnering with them in the gospel commission by leaving a bunch of the Sunday law books all over their church. And I said, at the time, I was like, no, we're not doing that. That's not going to win anyone. It's going to upset people. They're not going to read it. They're going to throw it away. And it's going to worsen our relationship with the Baptist church. And he got, like, really mad at me. And he was like, get behind me, Satan. Um, You just don't, you're just ashamed of the gospel or whatever. And we literally started yelling at each other <laughs> in the middle of the sidewalk. And I was like, no, we're not doing this. And then he, um, and then we, like, it just came to silence at one point. <laughs> and, of course, I was like, well, this is not helpful either. How are we supposed to go door knocking and witnessing to people if we have this huge unresolved tension over how, Christ who's more Christ-like? So I was like, okay, look, I'm sorry I yelled at you. <laughs> Let's just have a little prayer and move forward here. And he was like, no, I'm not going to pray. 
And I was like, what are you doing here? Why are you a Bible worker? Um, I mean, those are two specific examples that stand out in my mind, but you all have had these experience where experiences, especially if you've ever been involved in like traditional evangelism or door knocking or Bible working or any of this kind of thing, or just the general milieu and Adventism, a lot of times it's more about showing people that they're wrong and correcting them, um, than about meeting their needs. (laughs) Like, yes, Okay, yes, we teach people cooking classes. Yes, we uh, have the ministry of healing and all of these various things to to mingle with their, the people and desire their good and to meet their felt need and all this stuff. But all of that is for the purpose of the real end goal, which is to tell them how they're wrong and correct them. The help, The helping is a means to an end. And if you care about them in the process, well... That's a great byproduct, but but really it's not the point. But you know, in my reading of the New Testament, um, Jesus and was meeting needs. Like it wasn't a, an entering wedge. It wasn't a, a way to convince people um, to listen to you. It was what he was there to do. He was meeting their needs and that was all. And yes, he did teach people, and they did learn and correct wrong ways of thinking and all that sort of stuff. But Jesus was doing that as a need that they felt that they had. The Sunday church didn't have a, have a need for a book about the imposed Sunday law. Um, but this is kind of the way that Adventists go about it a lot of the time. And so I don't think it's any wonder that people <laughs> get frustrated and end up leaving. Not only the way that we approach people that we're trying to better their lives by, um, I don't know, beating them over the head or being confrontational, um, but it's in the way that we, we interact with each other, too. Like, behavior is so stifled um, and so restricted by some certain code of sanctified Christian behavior or something that... Even the little smallest thing wrong, like, oh, I had chocolate milk today instead of chocolate cashew juice, um, is so harshly judged that people feel the need to mask these things. I was talking about this with my, actually, two separate friends (laughs) from my class, um, who were both saying that because there's such a strict clamp down on what behavior is acceptable and what ways we're supposed to be sanctified every day and like reaching sinless perfection that there's no room for anyone to to be a a fallen human and therefore a lot of things get covered get hidden get masked um and the when you're forced to mask the small things that don't that aren't a personal conviction for you it tends to make it easier to mask the bigger things that we all know we shouldn't be doing. And then it just creates this, like, repressed, sort of resentful way of, of living that that is not healthy, to be honest. I'm not saying all of these things are horrible. Well, some of them are horrible. Not all of them are, are completely horrible in every way. Some of them are just very twisted from what they, (laughs) what the loving intent 
is. So, so at this point, we all have reminisced through our trying experiences in regressive Adventist culture. So now you're probably wondering where I'm going with this now. Hmm, I wonder what point I'm going to make now. Hmm, hmm, can you guess? Okay, everyone, say it with me. How does the great controversy change how we see our culture? Okay, at this point, it can't become tired for me to bring in the great controversy. It's just expected. It's part of the formula. If you can watch NCIS or any other procedural, um, then you should have no problem with my procedure of comparing everything to the context of the great controversy. So, in looking at all of these things that we see happening in Adventism that are causing people, 40, like 48 out of 50 people, to want to disassociate themselves in various forms of severity, how does the great controversy change how we look at this, if at all? And here's what I would say. If the great controversy is about God's character, which it is, why Why does what we do have anything to do with it? Um, like, seriously, we're completely focused on getting ourselves saved, um, getting other people saved, doing all the things that we need to do. We're so laser focused on our behavior um, and our transgressions that we forget, I think, 99 times out of 100, that the great controversy is not about what we do, it's about what God does in relation to us. So now you're like, wait, wait, hold up, hold up, then what's all this about the law and salvation and all that kind of thing? Well, within the scheme of this whole battle royale of ideas, where God and Satan are playing out two philosophies, and we're sort of caught in the middle, Surely, surely the law is there to help us, not only to reveal God's character to us, but to help us live better and more joyful lives. The law, when it's not taken to extremes, when it's followed as a model of God's character, makes our lives so much better. But God is not playing out the great controversy to have us blindly trying to perfect our behavior to some imposed standard. He just doesn't want us to hurt ourselves. The law isn't a burden. It's a, it's a way to, it's the way to live in harmony with God's creation. So from that thought process, the great controversy about, is about God's character. It's not about us. The law is there to help us in our foolhardiness to live as best we can. Um, in light of that, if what you are doing is a heavy burden that's weighing you down and burning you out as a Christian, maybe it's not the correct burden. Maybe we need to reprioritize the things that we're doing and the things we're emphasizing. Maybe we need to spend more time figuring out what God's character is instead of wondering how he's judging us on ours. And if you can figure out how to start doing that, Life gets so much easier, I promise. It's so much better. It's so less wearing on your psyche, on everything. And you're so much more motivated when you realize who God really is and what he really wants for you. 
that following the law is now just a bummer when your human nature overtakes what you want to do. It's not some, you know, self-flagellation that we have to harangue ourselves and each other over all the time. So here's an analogy. When you realize that walking safely on this earth requires you to obey the law of gravity, it's not really a burden. It's much less overwhelming than when you used to think that walking meant you had to impose gravity on everyone else at like 30 foot pounds more pressure than normal gravity. Adventism overburdens itself and places expectations on people that God has not placed on us. And it causes things like the majority of my AFCO classroom 10 years ago leaving or resenting the church. So yeah, so those are my reflections on my 10-year anniversary of Bible college. And I think that though I was headed in this direction at that time, I wasn't here yet. And I knew something was off in what I was experiencing, but I couldn't pinpoint what it was. And I really appreciate the fact that there is a much simpler, more beautiful, and more easy yoke and a light burden um, to to have within Christianity and, and within the, the real heart of the gospel that is sustainable for a lifetime. So I, I hope you guys are, are having this experience too, where you're continuing to grow and change your understanding to see the beauty in the plan of salvation, in the law, in all of these things, so that when those terrible toxic relationships in the church happen, when the unreasonable standards get you down, you realize all of that stuff are our own human failings, human quirks, misunderstandings, and misapplications of doctrine in the Bible. Hopefully it'll become easier. Hopefully you won't have to completely turn away, but you can just put on the easy yoke and the light burden and continue to grow stronger in your faith rather than having it break down over a decade. Okay, let me know what you guys think. If you guys have weird stories about toxic Adventism, <laughs> about like shocking things that that uh, professed Christians have done to each other or to you, um, I want to hear them. I'm sure you guys have them. They're out there. Uh, this is prevalent. Um, so let me know. Or if you have other thoughts, I'm always open to it. If you have questions, I may do another uh, Q&A episode. If there are people you would like me to get on the podcast, I will try, even though it's really, really hard to get people to actually come on. I always ask people like, hey, you want to come on the podcast? And they're like, oh yeah, sure, that would be awesome. And I would be like, okay, well, when are you available? Here several times. And no one gets back to me. So, um, let me know what you think. Email me at adventistmillennial at gmail.com. Tweet me at SDA Millennial. Uh, send me a message on Instagram or Facebook. Um, and I will see you guys next week.